Okay, for these two Sundays that were scattered, we're going to be taking a brief break from the Gospel of John. Um, so I would invite you still to grab your Bibles. Um, pause this if you need to, to go get one. Um, and then when you get one, turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 9. So, um, as I've been reflecting on the events and stuff of this season, um, I recall that during the events of the 9-11 in 2001, terrorist attacks on U.S. soil and following that the nation, among all sorts of other responses and reactions, um, got a call to return to prayer. And many of us, and I hope all of us, have been praying um, for various things in various ways regarding our current pandemic of COVID-19 coronavirus um, illness. And that's what I want to hone in on today as a church, is prayer. When it comes to our crises in our lives as Christians, whether it's global scale like this or just person to person, even within our own hearts, um, and I can speak for myself as well here, one of the temptations that is thrown at us is a temptation to act first and then pray last or later. Now, don't get me wrong. There are situations in life where the action, like going to get your child from an oncoming car, needs to happen so fast that we may not have time to pray. You know, God gives abundant grace for those moments. But the first action God wants and gives abundant grace for as well for us as Christians, it's prayer. The first action is prayer. So how do we act in prayer? How do we pray? <laughs> One of the great things that I love about God and his people is that we in the 21st century don't really have to reinvent a lot of things. Even in the earthly ministry of Jesus 2,000 years ago, when the word became flesh and dwelt among us, his disciples at that time asked the exact same question. And Jesus taught on prayer. You are probably very familiar with what is called the Lord's Prayer. Um, you might even be praying it as you're washing your hands for 20 seconds um, these days, as someone told me recently. Um, but my hope is that this morning will slow down a little bit. And hopefully revive our praying to God as we look at the rich hope that Jesus gives us in prayer. So if you're there, I would invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. And this is what God's word says. Pray then, like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And some translations go on to say, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So for this morning, as we study the Lord's Prayer, how to pray, we're, we're going to only dive into verses 9 and 10. And you may have noticed that this prayer is divided up into two huge chunks. 
The first portion is focused on the character and kingdom of God to whom we're praying. And the second is requesting our God to meet our needs, both physical and spiritual. So we're going to be in the first portion of of that prayer this week, and then the second portion the following week. So uh, are you you ready to go? Okay, let's, let's jump in here. Our Father in heaven. We're going to take this phrase by phrase. Church, if we are going to get this right, everything else in our lives falls into place when we understand our Father in heaven. Now we have a little bit of background work to do here because someone who doesn't believe, doesn't trust that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, as the Savior from our sins and to eternal life, as the Lord and King of our lives, they can't understand this prayer. They, can't, they, they don't understand what that means. I mean, they can mouth the words, but they're empty words in the mouth of someone who doesn't trust God. In the book of John, John chapter 1, verses Chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, John says, But to all who did receive him, him being Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So when we believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we are adopted into God's family and become his children. And we get the amazing and gracious privilege as a child of God of talking to Almighty God as Father. Now, for us, we have lots of baggage around this term Father, don't we? Some of us had great dads. Some of us had terrible dads or dads who weren't there. Some of us had okay dads. And we naturally project our ideas, our thoughts, our emotions of our earthly fathers onto God, our heavenly father. And actually, in a perfect world, that's actually how it's supposed to be. Dads, made in the image of God, reflect to their children who and what God is like as a father. But when that image is marred and distorted by sin, as it is for every earthly dad, We have some distortions of how we perceive God as Father. But that's where it's really encouraging that this verse doesn't just say, Our Father. It says, Our Father in heaven. Heaven is the spiritual realm in which God lives, chooses to dwell. And what's good news for us who come to God with a distorted view of Him as Father is that our Father in heaven helps take those distortions away because he's uncorrupted, he's perfect, he's above the mess of the world. And we, because he sent his son, Jesus, into that mess to rescue us, we get to communicate to him who is in heaven, who's our perfect father. And there's a key of that that fatherly relationship that I want to hone in on today. Love. Fathers, good fathers, especially, and above all, our Heavenly Father. They love their children. They love them. God loves us, His children. And because He loves us, He doesn't want us to stay away from Him. 
He wants us to talk to him. He wants to hear what's on our minds and our hearts because he loves us. And even the verse above, above this prayer that we just read, Matthew 6, verse 8, makes this clear. He says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. And some may take that and say, well, if he already knows me and knows what I need, why pray? He's a good God. He's a loving God. He'll take care of it. Yes, he will. But among the reasons to pray, love rises to the top. God reveals himself to Je through Jesus to those who believe him as a loving father who wants relationship with us. And part of, a loving a part of a loving and healthy relationship is where both parties are communicating with one another. God reveals himself to us through his word, through the person of his son. And he wants us to communicate to him through prayer. Of course he knows what we need, but we need it and he can provide it without us ever opening our lips. He's God. <laughs> but because he's God, he desires loving relationship with us for us to know that because of Jesus, it's okay to approach him. How awesome is it to have a heavenly father, God, who we can come to? And we need that groundwork because of what comes next. The next phrase in verse 9, hallowed be your name. Now, God, in this way, is totally unlike our earthly dads. The word hallowed <laughs> may sound old-fashioned, but it really just means, may your name be known as holy. Holy may your name be, Lord. For God, his name is a direct representation of who he is, what he's like, and how he does things. And as God, he's holy. He does things in a holy way. So this word, gets, this word holy gets used a lot, especially in Christian circles. So let's pin this down a little bit this morning. Um, holiness is used for uh, things or persons that are set apart. They're other, and other often used for a specific purpose. Now, when God comes into the picture and makes things or persons in Scripture and in the world holy, they are made or remade for the purpose of glorifying him, worshiping him in not just a set-apart way, but a purely set-apart way, in a rightly set-apart way, in an uncorrupted set-apart way. And for God himself, he is utterly set-apart from everything. He's utterly unique. He's the uncreated creator. He is the holy other, as some theologians have described him. No one, no thing can compare to him. He is also utterly incorruptible and pure. God has never sinned, is not sinning right now, and never will sin. Actually, sin is the very antithesis of his holy nature. So why should God's name be revered as holy? When Jesus tells us to pray, hallowed be your name, what's he saying? He's calling us, and it's actually throughout this entire prayer, to pray in line and in the perspective of reality, and that that reality would be made known. 
And the reality is that our loving Heavenly Father is wonderfully and fearsomely holy, and that his name, again, his name is a direct representation of who he is, what he's like, and how he does things. His name is to be held in the highest honor, the highest position, the most unique place in our lives and in all creation. Over our lives, in fact. Throughout our lives. So why should we want to pray this way? Well, if you are a Christian, you already know. When people know and believe God for who he is, what he's like, and how he does things, that changes things. When God is known as holy, we see how truly humble we ought to be. Actually, how unholy we often live. And how truly amazing that the God, as Scripture says, who dwells in unapproachable light, who can't stand the presence of sin because he's holy, that God chooses to show us grace through Jesus. A grace that doesn't count our sins against us, that doesn't leave us in our sin either, but brings us from darkness into the light of his holiness. When God's name is made holy, evil flees. And when his children are brought into that light, they're cleansed. They are made holy. We are made holy. God's holiness is never overcome. It always overcomes. His name being revered as holy is how this world is supposed to work. And through Jesus, he is redeeming and bringing about a new creation that wonderfully exalts his holiness and reflects his holiness. So that's where we can gladly, play, gladly, gladly pray, hallowed be your name. Third, verse 10. Your kingdom come. God is our Father. God is holy. And our Father is King. What is the kingdom of God then? Our Father is King. He's a, a king is a ruler who reigns over a realm. So when Scripture talks about the kingdom of God, very simply put, as someone has said, it's the rule of God and the reign of God over the realm of God. So praying this, your kingdom come, we acknowledge that God is a king who is a realm to, has a realm to rule and reign, and that reign and that realm should come. Why do we want God's kingdom to come then? Basically, we're praying that God would show up and make everything right. Because not everything is right, is it? We know this. But it began way, way long ago. We rejected God being king right back in the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis. When we actually submitted to the serpent by eating fruit that God had told us not to eat, rather than submitting to God, who, was our who is our lovingly, loving, fatherly king and who had given us nothing but good, and who intended to give us nothing but good, 
And ever since then, in a broken world, every human being has this gnawing in their hearts that the wrong king is on the throne. That wrong king being either Satan or us. So praying your kingdom come is how God wants us to engage in looking for him, the right king, to be seen on the throne, to be acknowledged on the throne, and to be submitted to on the throne. It is when the right king is known on the throne and submitted to on the throne that things begin to be transformed into the glorious world that God has designed. But it's really amazing. It's really amazing that Jesus is telling us to pray this. You remember who Jesus is. Revelation 19 verse 16 calls him what? The King of kings and Lord of lords. What does this mean then? It means that the king has already shown up. The kingdom of God has come. And yet he tells us to pray for it. Why? D.A. Carson has understood it this way. He says, quote, To pray your kingdom come is therefore to simultaneously to ask that God's saving royal rule be extended now as people bow in submission to him and already taste the eschatological blessing of salvation and to cry for the consummation of the kingdom. Only those who are born again, who are saved, can come into the kingdom of God. If you look at John chapter 3, your kingdom come is actually a salvation prayer. Perhaps not just for ourselves when we, when we are saved, but, but for others in the world. And it's a hope prayer that not only would God save many, many people to be his children and citizens in the kingdom, it's praying that God's great kingdom would come in its fullness with the return of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, the judgment of everyone, and the glorious eternal life where, as Revelation chapter 21 verses 3 through 4 says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That's the kind of kingdom to pray for. And praying your kingdom ties with this last phrase that we're going to look at today. Verse 10. Kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if God's kingdom is going to come in its fullness, that means God's will needs to be done here on earth. And what does that mean? Well, it means that it needs to be done like it is in heaven, as the verse says. Okay, you say, well, how is it done in heaven? Well, the psalm I read at the beginning of our time together today, Psalm 103, says this in verses 20 through 22. Listen to how this goes. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. 
How is God's will done in heaven? He speaks, and it's done. He commands, and it's obeyed. He accomplishes everything he desires, exactly as he desires it, and his creatures comply with it. An angel does not ask God why. When God commands something, the angel is actually like a private when the drill sergeant calls out, Jump! And they joyfully reply, How high! <laughs> There's no rebellion. There's eager participation. Now, before the idea of God as drill sergeant takes too much focus, remember that we have prayed and focused on the reality that God is our Father. That He's holy. And his, that his kingdom coming is the best thing that can happen to this fallen world. So when we think of God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven, we ought to think of joyful obedience. We ought to think of things being done perfectly and right. God is not an evil ruler like our sinful natures, the fallen world, and Satan want to make him out to be. It's not true. Jesus said in Matthew 11, he said, Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God's will for his world is really, really good. And we who trust him participate in obeying what he commands and desires for his kingdom. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So do you see as we've gone through this, just briefly, are you reminded why prayer ought to be our first response, ought to be our first act? Because right now we may wonder at this time of crisis, where entire states are shutting down, where government stimulus is in numbers that I have trouble fathoming. Thousands of elderly men and women are dying alone in Italy and around the world who don't know Jesus, who are not comforted by hope, when it sometimes seems like an awful waiting for the inevitable. How is God answering the prayer to him, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I tell you how. I want you to tell me how in the coming days. We as Christians are growing in our understanding of how God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, but one thing is absolutely certain. God is still king. And he is still ushering in his wonderful kingdom. He's not asleep at the wheel. Right now, there are lives being spared, though we may not see it. There are saints of the church who are passing on into glory. And as Psalm 116 verse 15 rings true, that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And right now, the church all over the world is praying in a new way for her neighbors, depending on God in a new way, because we cannot visit those who are ill, those who are vulnerable, even those who are in prison. 
We are being challenged in our faith. Do we really believe what God says in Romans 8 verse 28? When he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And we are being comforted by the truth that as the hymn goes, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And God, in ushering in his kingdom, is drawing men and women, men and women who may not have given God the time of day before, to behold his Son and in him find peace, hope, joy, love, and contentment in a time of such uncertainty. And we as the Church of Jesus Christ are given the wonderful privilege to proclaim the good news of salvation in Jesus and display what he has done for us, that the family of God, where God is our Father in heaven, would be filled with many more sons and daughters before Jesus comes back. God is at work, and we can pray with confidence today that our Father, church, our Father is in heaven. He is holy, and being known as holy, he is bringing his kingdom to consummation through the finished work of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, and his will has begun to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have that hope. We have that reality to live in. So today, would you pray with me in that reality? Let's pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we are humbled by such a gracious privilege that you give us to pray to you, to seek you, and to obey you in praying. And Lord, I do pray for my brothers and sisters, and I do pray for us as a church that we would not just pray these things, we would expect you to answer, and we would be watching for you to answer. Because you already are. You are already at work, and you have said that he who began a good work in us, much us, much less the world, will see it through to completion. So, Lord, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for that grace. We give you thanks for that hope. We give you thanks for that life and that truth that we can bank our lives on. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that because you died on the cross, we can pray this prayer and be heard. And we can pray this prayer as a son or daughter of God by your grace. And Lord, we give you thanks today. And we pray all these things in your wonderful name, Lord Jesus, the King of kings, Lord of lords. Amen.